Flamethrowers, this is Lindsay here. Welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast that you both want and need. I am joined today by Amira and Brenda. Once again, me and the professors. Uh, I love when this happens, and I feel like it happens a lot when I'm hosting. You know, it is just like... uh, Lindsay, if you're not neurotic enough about uh, your lack of degrees, host the conversation with the professors uh, every single time you're host. But anyways, that's my own business. Um, not anymore. So- <laughs> <laughs> oh, not anymore. But anyways, hi. hi. We're so glad you're here. This week, we're going to do a little Olympic roundup, even though, disclaimer, we're recording this on Saturday morning, so there are a few events that have not wrapped up, so it is what it is. But Hal, we've survived 16 days of the Olympics. We're going to go ahead and call it. <laughs> we're right. going to do it. We're going to do it's it. It's over. Congratulations. First of all, we want to thank our patrons, patreon.com slash burn it all down. If you want to support us, that is the way to do it. Um, you know, I think... I think like one of the tiers is like $2 a month and you get access to some behind the scenes stuff to some special pop-up events. I want to get right into it though. This week we're going to be going through our, some of our favorite moments from this Olympic games. And then we're going to be having some conversations on like mental health and also, you know, the dark side, the bad side of the Olympics and remembering to put this all into context. But first look, the Olympics, there's a lot of hot people competing in the Olympics. It's just, that's just kind of the nature of it, right? And sometimes these hot people are couples. They are together. And then they are like these hot, super, you know, superhero couples. And that's fun. So I thought we'd talk off by it. Uh, there was a funny tweet that was like, every time they pan to somebody's like boyfriend or husband or fiance or wife or whatever, they're like, just once I want them to be like, and this is Susie. Susie hates sports. This is Chad. Chad cannot run at all. And every time instead they're like, and here's their wife who's also a triple gold medalist in beam crossing or, you know, something. And studying to be a cardiac surgeon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, I just thought we'd start our favorite Olympic couples. The only disclaimer for this one is, you know, you need to be in both in this Olympics, both competing in the Tokyo Games, because if we broaden it beyond that, we would never end. Uh, Amira, please tell me about my favorite TikTok couple. Yes, they're in my favorite TikTok, <laughs> and I would check out their vlog. Um, Tara Davis, uh, who is a long jumper for Team USA, um, and uh, UT alum and Hunter Woodall, who is in the Paralympics, who is a track athlete. They are the cutest motherfuckers on this planet. Um, they met at a track meet in high school in Idaho. Neither of them are from Idaho. They were just at this random indoor meet that nobody wanted to be at. And then they spent the whole meet like thinking each other was cute. Tara finally like slid in his DMs later, and then they were basically started building their like TikTok vlogish fear YouTube personalities all through college. So we got to see both of their careers really um, build together. And then of course at U S trials back in June, 
both of them making the the Olympic and Paralympic team at the same time within a day of each other just kind of cemented them. And I think it's really special if you've watched them really from high school kids, like develop this relationship and, and both of their crafts. So um, they are just joy personified. And I love, even though they can't be together in Tokyo because the para games are not for another few weeks, um, the way they've supported each other is beautiful and lovely. So definitely Tara Davis and Hunter. I agree. Uh, Bren? So this is overdetermined and obvious, but Megan Rapino and Sue Bird. Um, I think it's fine to have, you know, annoyingly overexposed homecoming queens um, at this Olympics. There's ways in which I feel that they're, that it's become kind of almost like, too branded of a relationship for me to love that much um and then each one of them will go and do something so endearing and so amazing that I you know like the Olympico and Megan Rapino just being like we got our asses kegged and yeah she's never lost to Australia and she's just she's just super swaggy they both are and it's it's hot I agree I don't know I, I, I think it's cool. Like, like you know, they're they're over the radar. Yeah, this is probably the la- their last, like, Olympics. You know what I mean? Like, for both of them. And, like, what legends. But I do like how when they were, when Megan was reflecting on if it was their last, she was like, listen, we need to plan our futures together because if one of us retires and the other one is still, like, doing stuff, it will be seriously FOMO. And, like, we can't, we have to be on the same page about this. Yeah, so Sue's 40, Megan's, what, 36. So next go around would be 40 and 44 i'm feeling like yeah that 47 yeah we have three three years years. yeah there's just three years true yeah true well rapino's never been fast and she's brilliant but she can't slow down anymore i mean i mean it'll just make the whole game too boring but i love her i love them both that's mine okay mine i have two um uh, because, yeah, I just do. Uh, so we've talked about them before. We've had uh, Isra on the show before, but Isra Thibault and uh, Race Imboden, the fencing couple. She's from France. He's from America. They're both very hot. Multinational and, uh, they love. They do all their ads together. And uh, they they both won medals at this Olympics. So she got a silver and he got a bronze or vice versa. Uh, I'm not Anyways, they both got medals is the most important part. So they're just like hot people with medals. And then the couple I just found out about, which is Sam Kerr and Christy Mewis, which is just like, oh, yeah, what? I mean, if you have not seen the photos of Christy consoling Sam after USA beats Australia and they are like nuzzling on the pitch, like they are they are nuzzling. The deep dive I sent to uh, Jessica was the people who had gone through their IG comments over the last few months to see how they have been talking. Apparently everyone, apparently all my lesbian friends have known about this. This has been in the group chats and I'm very mad at everyone for not. We would have assumed you knew. That's what everyone has told me. But look, you guys have been (laughs) busy. There's been a lot going on. Okay. Uh, But the hilarious thing is the way the media portrayed that nuzzling as look what good friends they are. And right, everybody's right. like, if somebody put the SpongeBob gif, like, no, no everybody gay. responded and said, they are lesbians, idiots. What, what the are one? you They're doing? They're lesbian Stacy. It was like the tweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, like, like, uh, she's like, look at how people from the US are generous and friendly. And it's like, um, they're dating. So <laughs> okay. good. Okay. 
Let's go to our lightning round. We want to quickly recap some of our just most memorable moments of the game. The ones that just like, you know, we're going to remember. Amir, you want to get us started? We're, we're trying to do lightning round style, which if you know Burn It All Down, you know is very hard for us. But because we want to get through a lot here... Uh, we're going to, we're going to go quick about one minute. Okay. Amira. Yeah. So obviously, um, one of the biggest takeaways from the games will be Simone and the conversation that she generated about, uh, you know, twisties and, and mental health and, and, uh, safety and, and whatnot. Um, but her return to the beam and the way that everybody cheered for her will live in my mind, like, especially her dismount. Suni, you can see Suni Lee in the background, literally bending and twisting. She looks like me watching sports, like almost trying to like will her to do it with her own body. And she's cheering. And then Jordan, like sobbing, but still being cute, like trying to catch the cry right before it turns into an ugly cry. Um, I was like, all of us were Jordan right there, except I was definitely did not catch the cuteness. And I was just ugly crying in my living room at like 630 in the morning. Um, So that... Watching Simone do that, grab bronze on beam, and her smile was worth it all. Her smile and her beaming and the cheers and her support system, that to me was sweet, sweet moment. Absolutely. Yes. And just also Simone as a cheerleader, too. Just period. Like, you could hear Simone in the stands when she was sitting out cheering for her teams. Like, during Jake Carey's floor routine, over and over and over again. Oh. And not just her team. Literally every gymnast there. Like, if there was a single gymnast on the beam or floor or whatever, she'd be, come on, you got this. She's cheering on the Chinese gymnast who won gold on beam. She was like, you got this. You can do it. Like, the biggest coach there. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to go. This is a little bit, I mean, everyone has said this, but it still deserves celebration. I think they have to discuss a jump off, do they not? They may indeed. Yeah, I think we're going to go again. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, we can continue with the jump off. Can we have two bolt? It's possible. It depends if you decide, if you both decide on the jump They've agreed to share the gold medal, and that is what it means. Oh my gosh, I, I get chills just looking, thinking about it. Okay, so uh, what you heard there is two uh, high jumpers, Gianmarco Tamberi of Italy and Mutaz Ezebarshim of Qatar, who shared first place because they decided they didn't want to do a jump off for the Olympic men's high jump. Um, and they are like, Best friends, apparently, uh, Tamberi was in Barshim's uh, wedding. And he helped him back. Yeah, they helped each other back from injury. Yeah, and, like, Marco, yeah, he was, like, injured, and he was the one who, like, helped him get back into the sport. So it was just so beautiful. <laughs> so um, Gianmarco Tamberi is, like, the epitome of the Italian hugger. Like, he's just, like, he is just so great at hugging. And seconds... After he won, um, Marcel Jacobs won the 100 meter gold in men's in men's running on the track. And so then Tim Barry got to run over to him and celebrate, you know, winning two track and field goals for Italy. And they're both his best friends. Like Jacobs is also his best friend. So he just like won gold with all of his best friends. Hashtag friendship goals. Brenda? Yeah, I think that one of my favorite moments was watching Safan Hassan 
the runner who runs for the Dutch, but originally left Ethiopia at 15 as a refugee from Ethiopia. She is a middle distance runner and normally is like her strategy is to hang back. But that strategy often comes with a price and um, it, it comes with sometimes falling a lot. So there was a, in the women's 1500 meter, there was a prelim and 1500 meters, for those of us not rational enough to use the metric system, is just under a mile. And two other runners fell. She fell over. Um, and I just am amazed how she doesn't even wince. She she just gets right up, runs in a full-out sprint, and won that fucking heat. She ended up with a bronze, but later will gold in the 5,000 and 10,000 meter. But she ends up with a bronze in that. And I just, it's like staying with your strategy, a testament to staying with your game, believing in your strategy, believing in yourself. She just, her eyes are absolutely immediately on the finish line. She doesn't take a second to think about like, oh, that sucks, you know? Oh, damn it. She doesn't look askance of the person that she tripped over. She's just like, okay, here we go. And I just, it was, I don't know. It just blew me away. Yeah, I'll I'll stay on the track because I want to shout out uh, Jasmine Camacho Quinn, who I already shouted out last week in the Torch Bears, but just that was the moment for me when she won gold for Puerto Rico in the 100-meter hurdles. It was, like, so phenomenal to watch her celebrate, and, like, I did it, and it was like, yes, like, girl, you're a badass. Um, Sid McLaughlin in, in the 400 meters, uh, right next to Dahlia Muhammad, and Anna Cockrell, of course, was in that final as well. Um, watching her bust that world record open was just phenomenal. Um, and then of course, Allison Felix, uh, kicking down the backdrop to get bronze in the 400 meters, um, was super sweet. Like those track moments, um, especially the kind of relief and disbelief that people have on their face when they cross the, the finish line are absolutely some of my favorite what's good moments from these games. And we have a clip of the 400 meter hurdle race. Dalila Muhammad's quest to defend her gold medal begins now. And watch for Dalila. She is masterful yeah, in the look first half it. of this race. She is also a Dalila gets out faster. Overtaking Anna Cockrell. Sydney McLaughlin much more relaxed down this backstretch. And now she's going to make her move to try to get back in touch with the her Olympic champion. This ridiculous. is what happened at the World Championships. McLaughlin had to run down Dalila Muhammad. McLaughlin checks fellow 21-year-old Femke Bowl off the list. Now it's the race to the line. Sydney, Sydney McLaughlin is bringing it to Dalila Muhammad. Muhammad's trying to hold on. McLaughlin on the inside to the line. It's going to be Sydney's time again. And it's a world record again. McLaughlin, 51-47. It's just wild. It's wild. Amazing. It's just wild. Who runs a sub-52 in the 400-meter hurdle? You're jumping over motherfucking hurdles. That's like... And who... Who sets a world record at trials and then literally shaves off enough time for a new world record weeks later? Like people train for years to shave off half a set. It's a that everything about the 400 meter on both the men's and women's side this year. Well, has hold been, on, Tom, you're spoiling it. You're spoiling it. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, I, thought, I forgot. I forgot. It's just I was so caught up in the magic. Leading into my one of my favorite moments, which was the men's 400 meter hurdles uh, race, which uh, Carson Warholm 
from Norway won by running 45.95 seconds. He took 0.75 seconds off Which his is previous wild. world record. 0.75. And he, he said that on July 1st. And um, all the top three. So Rye Benjamin got silver. He also set like what would have been a world record this race had Warholm not, you know, smashed his world record. And then the bronze medalist um, from Brazil, Alison Dos Santos, uh, finished in 46.72, which had he run that on June 31st or June, how many days are in June? Anyways, the last day of June would have been a world record. Uh, so we had three of the fastest times in history in this event all happen in this one race, which is just so good. So good. And then he tried to rip off his shirt, uh, Warholm did, but he couldn't. And I just love that. <laughs> which I like the tweet after Sid won, and they were like, she won, and she didn't even rip off her shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Bren? I thought it was a really sweet moment. This will be super lightning. Uh, when Team Refugee walked in for the inaugural ceremonies, um, this time, instead of 10 athletes, there were 29. So it felt like it was a little bit more of a community and a celebration. Sadly, come to find out, many of them had requested to get the second vaccine, which was supposed to be available to athletes. And they were told that they weren't a priority because they probably wouldn't go forward in heats and preliminaries. So this has just come out recently and is a little sad for me to think back that some of them might have felt scared or nervous because... Um, it just looked so, it's just so important to say these are stateless people and here's an actual platform and they look so happy and matchy and I don't know, it was, it's, it was heartwarming for me. I love that. Amira? So yeah, I had, I felt like this was like second week bias cause it's in my head. So I wanted to definitely shout out, um, swimming and watching Katie Ledecky like race down that last part of the relay and like it was a four by 200, I think. Yeah. Four by 200. Yeah. Free. Yeah. And get the, get them on the medal stand. Remember like that was exhilarating. It also feels like forever ago. It literally feels like a month ago at this point. I think the random moments for me, I couldn't decide if it was men's shot put. Um, it was the same three finishers as in Rio, but watching them like push each other to a new world record, like it was, it was phenomenal. But I think it really goes back to my first week moment that me and Samari watched together that I can't stop laughing at, which was the end of the men's triathlon. And I talked about it before on the show, so I won't belabor the point. But again, watching the the champion come down in utter disbelief that he was about to cross the finish line first, um, and then everybody collapsed at the end, like like the triathlon is a monster event. Um, and I won't forget that look of sheer disbelief and joy on, on uh, their faces as they cross the finish line. Amazing. You know, I don't like to give NBC credit for much, but the viewing parties at home and the way they would show the viewing parties to the medalists, like right after they won, that was pretty cool. Like to have these cameras to be able to see how everyone back home was celebrating. And I think I'm going to remember a few in particular in Alaska, when Lydia Jacoby won her gold medal in the 100 meter breaststroke, like they say, act like you've been there before. Alaska had never been there before, and they did not even pretend like that they had. Like the celebration from that viewing party was one of the best things in the Olympics. And um, I'm also gonna remember Caleb Dressel after winning his first individual gold, being shown his family and just kind of breaking down in tears. Um, and that was really, really moving. 
And then the celebration from the entire country of Fiji um, after they won, I believe it was Rugby Sevens, the Golden Rugby Sevens. Um, That celebration was just uh, remarkable. So I think, you know, those viewing parties and kind of getting into um, people's living rooms, you know, I hope that, like, there are ways that that, you know, kind of continues. And, um, you know, I think it just uh, it, it brings a lot to uh, watching to see how families and everything are reacting. So that was cool. Uh, Bren, bring us home. Yeah, well, I'm a killjoy, so here you go. I had the actual opposite in the document, which is I'm going to remember how disgustingly patriotic is NBC. I'm sorry, but, like, it was, like, I just didn't think it was cool the way they covered so many of the international athletes, like, just starting with the U.S.-Sweden game, you know, the U.S. are just stunned. It's like they are not stunned. There are other athletes from other countries that are actually quite good at their jobs. And their watch parties in India were off the hook. And so it's true. Sometimes they would, like, feature it. But for the most part, I found it incredibly frustrating that instead of just being proud of the U.S. athletes, it felt like they had to defeat every other nation or they were, like, disappointed and that it wasn't interesting or a rivalry if it didn't involve a U.S. person. If a U.S. person couldn't possibly gold, then, like, why would we watch? Um, and that, for me, felt really annoying. Um, so I don't know. That's that's what I took away from it. Like, it was, like, typical. Um, and I don't think that's true of, like, every journalist, but I think it's just the way NBC crafts it. And they try to get people who aren't really into sports on board through kind of being like the only thing you all must care about are, you know, these particular athletes. I mean, that's just my view, but you all can argue. <laughs> well, I would have loved to see viewing parties from, you know, all the winners. Exactly. You know what I mean? All the winners, know. Uh, no matter the country. I would love to always love to get to know all the athletes a little bit more. Yeah, but, um... exactly. And I love the Alaska thing. I mean, those high schoolers are charming. Like, I in no way didn't love it. They were lovely. I just thought to myself, like, dang, like, couldn't we get more into, like, you know, some rivalries that don't involve just the U.S., but, you know. Oh, Brenda. I know. You're so optimistic. And so look at you. (laughs) Look at you. I I think the rest of us just gave up hope on that a long time ago. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) All right. Uh, So mental health was a big topic. And I want to say the interview for this week, which will be out on Thursday, is with Amani McGee Stafford, um, WNBA player and law student. You know, we kind of dive deep into topics of mental health and athletes um, and Simone Biles. But, you know, I wanted to ask you guys, I mean, I I can't remember an Olympics where mental health was a bigger topic of conversation. Do we think that Simone's kind of openness will really, like, change things? Or is this a situation where it's, like, just a lot of virtue signaling and then, like, we return immediately to business as usual? Uh, Yeah, that part. That one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that what's interesting about it is that the discourse with Simone – opened up about mental health, but I think that in the rush to kind of simplify narratives as the media does, as Brenda was just, you know, mentioning in, in part, um, 
it made it only that and we missed the connection between mental and physical health mm. right she was like this is a mental block that could hurt my physical <laughs> well-being and like part of the conversation is how we can contend with these together and how we think about it more robustly and when i talk to a lot of the black women on team usa that's one of the questions i put to them are like are we even having the right conversation like in our framework of it and i think that that's why i'm like a lot of the stuff with Simone, you could see how the discourse shifted from this kind of broader conversation, right, to a narrative about her. And I actually think her getting back on the beam in in the media's eyes punctuates that narrative, right? But the reason why I still say yes and no is because what Simone said is the reception she got in the village, right? Mm -hmm. The way other athletes are talking about this. And so in my view, if any athlete at any level cites this or uses this moving forward to make their own decision, then I think that's the impact worth celebrating. Um, I don't have much hope for how the framing of it will continue, but I do think that it opened up not a conversation, but actually a pathway of possibility for other people watching. Yeah. And, um, you know, Amani and I talk about this a little bit, but one of the things that you know, I started seeing things get out of control in multiple ways, narrative-wise, but when it was, A, like, oh, Simone doesn't owe you anything, look at all her medals, right? And, you know, to me, that's kind of implying, like, if you don't have all those medals, like, you don't have the right to, you know, make these decisions. Um, and then also, you know, in a way, like, the, the conversation with her, because of how dangerous gymnastics was because of this mental block, the twisties, you know, it became kind of a really life or death almost, you know, thing, a situation, you know, her, her physical health was seriously, seriously in danger, which I think in some ways made the decision a little bit easier to justify and easier to understand, but we got to find a middle ground where you're, you're, you know, you don't actually have to be at the risk of being paralyzed and you don't have to have, be the most decorated Olympian at all to decide that it's more healthy for you to take a break and stuff away um but that's a lot of nuance and i don't know <laughs> how to get there bren i just i wish that there had been a bit more emphasis also on the trauma that she's gone through mm -hmm. with usga usag yeah usag, USAG sorry <laughs> i just felt like you know that could have been recognized a little bit more that she was competing for the very organization that have facilitated her harm and how much pressure it was for her to constantly be the face of, you know, the last, you know, victim, maybe the person who had to kind of keep reminding people of what these women had gone through. And I'm not I'm I'm not saying that that has everything to do with it, but I felt like some more culpability should have been continuously placed on USAG, which I guess we could say every single week. Um, but that connection there about how like the, she wasn't sort of nurtured in any way, but quite the opposite. And so you're really out there on your own in so many ways, trying to take care of yourself. Absolutely. So, you know, going into this Olympics, we were very frank about the fact that we didn't really believe that they were supposed to happen, you know, how dangerous they were and how fucked up the kind of Olympics as an enterprise are, despite the fact that. We have a lot of moments of joy as well, as we talked about at the beginning. But, I mean, does just kind of want to ask for any reflections you have on the Tokyo Games and 
does the fact that like we got through this two weeks, like does that change your mind any on whether or not it was responsible to go forward with them in the first place? Amira, uh, you're making a face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a single bit. Yeah. <laughs> not a single solitary bit. In fact, um, something else happened this week that just punctuates the blatant disregard that the IOC continues to have and has had for Japan, for safety, for people on the ground. Um this past week, of course, was uh, the anniversary of Hiroshima um, when the United States uh, harmed, burnt, killed, maimed many of people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, dropping atomic bombs on them. Um, and the mayor of Hiroshima and um, the governments had asked the IOC to do a moment of silence on this day while they were in Japan to acknowledge this um, and they denied it. They denied it after, this comes weeks after Thomas Bach broke COVID protocols to do a photo hop in Hiroshima before the games. Despite people there petitioning to cancel the games, definitely not fucking with this photo shoot. And that to me, right, is a reminder of who we're dealing with, right? As long as the IOC is doing this, they're still going to have blatant disregard for health over any of you know any level of decency for a number of topics but just to me like getting to this week and then having like one in one moment to do something right and just do a moment of silence while you're in Japan and to not do that shows the continued disregard and disrespect if it's not about the bottom line right if it's not about that profit of the games it's not about putting them off at any cost, then the IOC doesn't give a damn. And that in itself is what we were concerned about. And we've watched it play out in front of our eyes. So no, it doesn't change my feelings about it. I'm happy that people are healthy. I'm happy for people who had a good experience. And I'm also thinking of the number of people who aren't and who were harmed and will continue to be harmed as the Olympics leaves town. Yeah. Uh, Bren? Yeah, boy, did we call this. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I feel like burn it all down. Um covered every single thing that we were worried about, um, we pretty much predicted and we're excited about also. Um, I think first of all, we saw this week the COVID infection spreading outside of Tokyo um, more and more and more rapidly. And so they hit the morbid milestone of a million cases. Um, and that was really sad to see. We saw the effects of global warming on the games. Um, we saw, though, at the same time, like we said, conversations about those very aspects of the games. And I do think that there are sports thinkers. I do think my co-hosts are among them and others who are using this to, to start these conversations and are even more radical in many ways than typical progressive media folks. Um, my mom heard Lindsay on NPR (laughs) this week (laughs) randomly in her car, you know, um, Amira was all over the place. Um, So these are good opportunities for really smart and critical thinkers to get in on some of these conversations. I guess the last thing that I'll just say is we didn't quite predict this, but it is predictable every Olympics that despite the narrative of coming together and, oh, we are the world, that actually this Olympics has caused some degree of tension and even, you know, xenophobic tension in East Asia. The Japanese have an election this year, and so there's a lot hanging in the balance. A lot of journalists have noted that the um, 
bad feelings that it can cause, the way it's being reported between Japanese, South Korean, and Chinese media has seemed worsened. The South Korean delegation refused to eat in the dining hall, citing concerns with the quality of Japanese food. Um, or we saw, for example, um, the Chinese badminton player, who um, Chen Qing Chen, who was accused of being very foul-mouthed. Well, I, I guess she was, um, and said fuck during her match. And the Badminton Korean Association has now filed a huge complaint against her, saying she violated sports ethics. So anyway, um, going forward, we saw that it's not all sort of kumbaya. In fact, there's ways in which going forward, the media may use this, different political forces may use this to incite um, tension among countries or between countries. Not to mention that there's already tension on display that's only going to continue to be carried forward. For instance, in badminton, um, you had a win by what the Olympic Committee calls uh, Chinese Taipei, which was a deal brokered in the 70s with the Taiwanese Olympic Committee because, of course, Beijing refuses to recognize the island of Taiwan as they believe they have no right for recognition on any sphere, especially the Olympic sphere. So the deal brokered was to they compete without their flag and without their anthem under the name Chinese Taipei. However, after winning badminton gold, the team from Chinese Taipei uh, retweeted it and said, I'm from Taiwan, um, which got, of course, a lot of support. Um, and this is something, of course, that is not going to go lightly away, especially given that the next games are going to be in Beijing um, in the Olympic cycle. And it reminds us that there's a lot that goes into the names um, and flags and anthems that we see or don't see. Um, uh, along those lines, of course, there's going to be continued scrutiny on the Russian Olympic Committee, who, of course, despite Russian being banned, the Russian Committee of Athletes was everywhere winning a bunch of medals. And then, of course, we see political uh, happenings coming up in individual athletics as well, when individual athletes are having issues with their nation state. Right, Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, it's really tough when you think about, you know, we, the nationalism and the pride. And, you know, we see like, um, you know, the celebrations in Fiji and all these things, you know, where there's this positive nature for winning for your country. But there's a lot of negative here, too. And... Um, you know, what we saw happening in Belarus is just really extremely disturbing. So we had um, Christina Timonovskaya, who is a sprinter from Belarus, who criticized her coaches during the games um, because they literally out of nowhere, wanted her to run in the 400 meter relay, even though she had not prepared for that at all. They entered her into it and she felt that it would damage her chances in the 200 meter sprint, which was her um, marquee event. And so she criticized them and immediately her coaches forced her to try to force her home. And um, she uh, talked to her family and back in Belarus and they said that the media was being so critical of her and they literally felt her life would be in danger if she went back to Belarus. So she ended up taking um, landing in Poland and Poland is kind of helping uh, shield her for now. Um, she's 
seeking political asylum now in Poland. But, you know, apparently her criticism, criticism of the coaches was seen as criticism of the Olympic Committee in Belarus. And the Olympic Committee is run by the son of the authoritarian president, Alexander Lukashenko. And Lukashenko told these players before these games, um, kind of jokingly, but also given what's going on in the country, this is not at all a joke, um, you know, um, come home with medals or come home not at all. And so it's just really disturbing um, what's going on. And you think these athletes... I mean, talk about lack of autonomy. Talk about lack of being able to um, take care of yourself. I mean, everything's at risk. And I don't know. It's just a really dark side to all of this. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, this week, as I mentioned, um, on Thursday, you'll hear my interview with Amani McGee-Stafford, um, who gets really candid about how to set boundaries and take care of your mental health as an athlete. And uh, I'll admit it, I got uh, <laughs> I opened up about some of my stuff, too. Um, it is definitely a meaningful conversation. And I think like the hardest part I've always said with dealing with mental health is that it's something you can't see. You can't see when if I break an ankle, you know, cut my arm, you get it because you see it and you can be like, okay, I empathize with you. I see your pain, whatever. But when you're having a mental health situation, you can't see that, especially if I if I don't have like the hallmarks of what dealing with mental illness looks like. Right. Okay, friends, it is time for the burn pile. Whew. I've got one that I honestly never thought this would be on a burn pile. I literally never, ever thought that I would have to burn something like this, which is, just says a lot because our burn pile is wide ranging. This week, The Athletic published an interview with O.J. Simpson about his, quote, complicated, unquote, legacy. Yes, that, that is a real thing I just read. The Athletic is looking back at kind of the identifying the best 100 players in football history. And as part of that, I guess they thought Tim Graham should seek out OJ Simpson and talk with him. Now they say that, you know, OJ knew that this was not going to be, that they were going to address his past in the piece that this wasn't going to be like, you know, a fluff piece, but I, I, I read it cause I was going to burn it. So I actually read it. 
and it's pretty damn fluffy. It's there's just a lot of fluff in there, friends. <laughs> uh, I if you control F for the words domestic violence, that doesn't come up until the comments when people are pointing out. So it only talks about whether or not he was guilty of murder, um, and none of the actual known domestic violence. You know the ways that he is admitted he pled guilty to. He was a convicted domestic abuser, and. Um, you know, it has O.J. Simpson bragging about his lifestyle now, talking about how many people love to take photos with him and really glamorizing his life. I'm honest, like O.J. Simpson is glamorizing his life and they are giving him the column inches to do it. Um, in the opener and the lead of the piece, they talk about O.J. Sip- sipping a Bloody Mary. I can't. I can actually not um, with any of this bullshit. A list of 100 players is completely subjective. Nobody is forcing you to include O.J. Simpson in it. Nobody will miss him if he's gone. And murder and domestic violence are completely legitimate reasons to exclude someone from a list like this. Just completely legitimate. 100% legitimate. And if you if you do put him on the list... Do not tell me you grappled with his past sins when you did not, when you did, were not at all. So burn, 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 burn. Friend? I am going to burn, and this is not the first time and I'm sure won't be the last, um, the football club Juventus from Italy for, I don't know who the fuck works for them. I, 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 I don't know who they hired to do this. I don't know how many people are virulent racists in that organization, but apparently a lot. It's also a club, remember, that takes from its workers' salaries to pay for Ronaldo's security protection so he cannot be served to face rape charges. So um, there's that. But Juventus women tweeted out um, a picture of a player with, her name is Cecilia Savai, and she's pulling her eyes with a training cone on her head, a very anti-Asian, a very racist pose. It's incredible that it got out. It's incredible that it was done in the first place. I, I cannot believe it. And then to add to the burn pile, their apology says, we sincerely apologize that our tweet, which was not meant to cause controversy or have any racial undertones may have offended anyone. Juventus has always been against racism and discrimination. Not true, not true, not true, not true. No, they haven't. They've always been, take out against, racist and discriminatory. Not against either of those things. Then hashtag differences make the difference. What the fuck is that? It's incredibly meaningless. They want their racism to be uncontroversial and their racial undertones to be pasty white. We all know They're not it. even undertones. It's, they, it's uh, that's enough. Burn. Burn, 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 burn. Amira? I just can't get over the fact that they were like, racial undertones. No, overtones. <laughs> this is blatant. <laughs> this is not even. Any, anyways. Yeah, um, I just want to burn just another example of how profit is being prioritized over athlete health and safety at the good old Olympic Games. Um, This time, uh, looking at the women's uh, gold medal match for football, um, because it was slated 
to kick off here in the States at a reasonable 10 p.m., um, which is teed up for a United States primetime audience, why the assumption was that the U.S. women would be in the gold medal game. That is why the scheduling was like that. Ask me what time that would have been locally. In the middle of the morning in Tokyo in the summer where the heat was basically 100 degrees Fahrenheit over. It was about 38, 39 degrees Celsius. That is fucking hot. In a like fishbowl that's only going to make it feel hotter. Why are we having the Tokyo Olympics in the summer anyways? Oh, because Olympic organizers lied about the weather despite the fact that the summer games in 1964 when they were in Tokyo were held in October. Why? Because it's hot as hell in Japanese summers. And this was known. Ask me why it was known. Oh, I'll tell you, because the athletes were forced to sign IOC waivers, both mitigating any liability if they were to get COVID. This is literally the text of the waivers they signed. I agree that I participate in the games at my own risk and own responsibility, including any impact on my participation to and performance in the games, bodily injury, or even death raised by the potential exposure to health hazards, such as the transmission of COVID-19, or extreme heat conditions. Why is extreme heat conditions right next to COVID-19? Because they knew it was going to happen. And they're scheduling events with not an eye to where the sun's going to be in the sky and how hot you might be, but when we can get the most eyeballs on it and viewership numbers for TV revenue profit. That is disgusting. I am glad that the Canadian and, and uh, Swedish Olympic committees were able to put pressure on and change that gold medal match. I also feel like the only ways they were able to do it is citing the fact that the U.S. women's national team wasn't still in there. I think that there's a fair chance that if they did, the IOC would push back a lot on moving that game. And that's a shame because it was a wonderful game and it was a better game because it was played in conditions where they could actually breathe and play and succeed. And the fact that that's not the fucking point of scheduling in the first place is disgusting and just another reminder of why the IOC is a constant member of our burn pile. And today is no different. Burn it down. Burn. All right. After all that burning, we have uh, some torchbearers of the week. I do want to say this is the Olympics. There is no way (laughs) to get everyone in here. I tried to focus this list on some people we didn't highlight in the beginning that we haven't talked about yet. Um, But uh, congratulations to all of the Olympic competitors for... um, making it here and for performing on the biggest stage and you know, for all the hard work, we, we love you all. So that is my caveat. Don't yell at me. Okay. Um, Brenda, who is our perfectionist of the China's Tuan Hung Chan, who scored not one, but two perfect tens on her dive in her very first international competition in the women's 10 meter platform final, no splash. And she is only 14 years old. Oh, and she won gold. I forgot to put that in the text. She won gold. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Amira, who are our sisters of the week. Yeah, that would be Kawai Yukako of Japan, who won Olympic gold in the women's 62 kg weight class. And exactly 24 hours later, literally down to the minute, her sister, Kawai Risako, won gold in the 57 kg weight class. Risako, who earned Olympic gold in 2016, 
Maida run for the Olympics in a lower weight class to provide her sister with the best chance of qualifying for the Olympic teams. And now look, they're both gold medalists. Oh. <laughs> All right. Our trailblazer or I don't know what the word for water is. Water. Can you have a trail in water? I don't know. But anyway. Water blend- blenders. <laughs> this goes to, so this is the first year that women have been allowed to canoe in the Olympics before it was only kayak, which is just ridiculous. Uh, and so I want to congratulate Jessica Fox of Australia, Xu Sijiao and Soon Mingya of China, and Nevin Harrison of the USA for winning the inaugural golds in the three events in the sport. And I apologize if those pronunciations were wrong we did research but um it is hard to um hard, hard to find so but i want to congratulate all of them uh brent who are our fireworks of the week elaine thompson hara shellyann frazier price brianna williams and Trika jackson from jamaica who won gold in the 4x100 relay on jamaica's independence day see fireworks and do you see what i did there yeah yeah i see that i see that <laughs> <laughs> who's our 11-time Olympic medalist of the week? Um, that would be Allison Felix, who surpassed Carl Ooh. Lewis's American record to bring to become the most decorated American Olympian in track and field history. She won bronze at the 400 meters and gold in a 4x4 relay, where the gap between first and second was massive. Allison Felix is also my Peloton friend. Hashtag Peloton moms. <laughs> Shout out to you, Allison. Oh my God. All right. Our unexpected flip of the week is Gable Stevenson, who won gold in wrestling after a last second takedown and punctuated it with an unexpected backflip that you really need to see. And can I get a drum roll, please, for our torchbearers of the week? Uh, she couldn't be on the episode with us today, but we have a special guest here to talk about our torchbearers of the week. Flamethrowers, it brings me so much happiness to share with you that the torchbearers of this week are none other than the Canadian National Women's Soccer Team, otherwise known as the Olympic Gold Medalist of Women's Football at Tokyo 2020. You all know how much I love this team, and to see them and to see Captain Christine Sinclair possibly end her career on such an incredible note, although she did not offer any explanation or hints that that was coming to see them claw and fight their way in an incredible match the finale was outstanding with Canada's Stephanie Labe facing off against Sweden's stalwart Hedvig Lindahl in a thrilling and heart palpitating penalty shootout that saw Canada's Julia Grosso finish it off with an incredible shot blew it past Lindahl in the net World stands to their feet in Canada. 4.4 million people watched this game that began at four o'clock in the morning. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable in extra time than in penalty shootouts. This team just kept fighting. I also want to mention that part of this team is Quinn, who is the first trans non-binary athlete to win a medal at the Olympic Games. Congratulations to Quinn. We hope to see much, much more of this. Also, shout out to whoever switched goalkeeper Stephanie Labe's Wikipedia page to say that she was the Minister of National Defense. Women's soccer fans are the best, truly. 
I'm happy for everybody involved here. This is incredible. This team, this program, it means so much. But I also want to point out that despite this moment of unadulterated joy, this team continues to advocate, advocate for this game, advocate for girls and women in Canada, advocate for what's right. I'll leave it to the words of Stephanie Labe, who was later interviewed with Christine Sinclair from CBC Olympics about what happens next and what it means for this team and what it should mean for soccer in Canada. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I know back in 2012, the team inspired so many young girls to want to pick up a soccer ball and start playing soccer. And some of those girls that were inspired then are now on this team and have brought this team to the next level, which is, you know, top of the podium. And I think we have to continue moving forward from there and continue to inspire young boys and girls to to want to play football, to want to grow the game. And in our country and in order to do that just like christine said you know we need to continue to push to have a professional league in canada um i'll, I'll quote sinky from the other day but the fact that we're olympic champions and we don't have any professional teams in our home country is um it's pretty unacceptable so it's definitely something that as a team we want to continue to keep pushing for and keep moving forward to Whew. all right what's good Friends, Bren? So I had no idea, but my co-host Amira um, entered our co-host Shireen, who you just heard undoubtedly over the top excited about the Canadian women's team. This is this has got to be Shireen's wig. She entered her into a contest to win a Peloton bike, and she won. And it is so that is so cool. I never win anything. And to win something for some somebody else is cool. So it's I'm so excited for Shireen. I mean, on the other hand, I'm so sad for all of us who have to hear both her and Amira now about their Peloton <laughs> cult. But I love it so much. It made me just really happy hearing them, you know, hearing them celebrate. I was like, oh my gosh, I never know anyone that wins shit like that. So it was very, it was very tickling. And, um, you know, besides that, like I said, there's been tons of beautiful things at the Olympics, despite my, you know, general or- orneriness. I love it. Amira? You know, Jessica Luther loves her gym Grass Iron here in Austin. Um, while Jess is out of town, I snuck over to Grass Iron um, to sign up and to, to get some time lifting as well. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and I have enjoyed my kids all being in camp this week. Samari went to theater camp and the boys were running around doing something. Maybe archery was involved. I don't really know, but it was wonderful. And they weren't here. That's largely my what's good. I got into my new office on campus. That's, that's good to me. Um, and tacos continue to be very good in my life, especially breakfast tacos. And then I can sneak in the side of queso fuerte and nobody will know <laughs> because it's like a breakfast thing. And then I'm just like, <laughs> totally eating queso at 10 in the morning. It's beautiful. Mm. I gotta say, I am glad the Olympics are over. I'm glad we don't have the French open. We don't have, we don't have Wimbledon, my sleep <laughs> schedule. You know what I mean? Like I can get on like a schedule, like a normal person schedule can start going back into my um my co-working space because I don't won't be having to stream things it's you know at 6 a.m every day like I'm ready to 
ready to get back. You know, July was a big month for me. I was traveling and doing work trips for the first time since the pandemic started. And I had a lot of anxiety around it, just kind of returning to the world. Um, and I made it through, you know, feel like I've checked that off the box, although I'm still not saying I'm done with pandemic anxiety. I'm just saying like, I've been outside my apartment, so that's good, and I don't know. I'm excited for August, because I feel like I was holding my breath all of July just to see if I could make it through, and I wasn't that productive, but we made it through, friends. What we're watching this week, um, not the <laughs> The WNBA will return. We still got NWSL play. Trinity Rodman, check her out. Um, the Paralympics are coming up in a week or two, so get ready for those. Um, and Brent has told me that the football transfer window is, is going to be fun. It's the soap opera that you need to be watching. Obviously, people are looking at Messi going to PSG, but there's lots of other transfers out there. I'm still waiting for Early Collin to get picked up. I mean, it is intense. It's a sport in and of itself. Tweet us if you would like Bren to just record a 30-minute hot take by herself full of messy feelings. So please <laughs> at us if you would like that. It's annual. <laughs> you know, I did it last year when they denied him the transfer. So it's, it's an annual thing. I know. Well, we need an update. Yeah, we, we need we an do. update. We you do. Know? I can tell you how yeah, many barrels so. of oil need to be extracted from the ground to pay for him, et cetera. Uh. The content the people uh, want. Is. The it content is. the people totally. want. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by our phenomenal producer, Tressa Versteg, and Shelby Weldon is our web and social media guru. Burn It All Down. We're part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate. Uh, the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, etc., etc. Um, ratings really, really, really help. I'm just going to say it, five-star only. For show links and transcripts, you can check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. We do have transcripts for every episode. Um, and also, you'll find a link to our merch at our Bonfire store. Once again, thank you, patrons. This work would literally not be possible without you. Um, patreon.com slash burn it all down and uh, throughout all of this I believe Amira um, is doing a 10 a.m. Macarena um, on the she Zoom. She is doing a Macarena. She is hey, doing oh, Macarena. If, if you're wondering what it's like to uh, work with Amira, I just want to give you, it is exactly, it is exactly as much the most as you think it is. <laughs> I did break into the Macarena with the hand jive briefly as a remix. You didn't catch that. I think I did. I think I did. Thanks again for listening to Burn It All Down. Um, as Brenda said, our catchphrase, burn on, but not out.